Welcome to Blue State Conversations. This is our place to discuss the political theory from all sides, bridging the political divides that split our society. Well, hello, it's Will Matthew with special guest Stretch Dean, and here's our opening problem. Men used to shape the world. Entire seas, continents, and dangers were overcome by determination, single-minded focus, and the courage of men. Or was it a savage age led by brutal men with no place in our modern world? Women view men as predators, sometimes, and men refuse to work with women, again, sometimes. Many have come to the conclusion that there is a problem, but is it nurture or nature? And today's question of the show is, are we failing young men? Yeah, I think that's uh, a heavy question that we have. And so we thought we'd bring somebody in today just to uh, help us get through this topic. He is a 30-year youth ministry veteran, so a lot of time spent working with young men. He's an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. He is a public speaker. He's spoken all over the country. And he is a father of two daughters, one of whom is married. So he has also had some dealings with young men in that regard, too. So, yeah, so Stretch, welcome. Thanks for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me. This is, this is great. Awesome. So I think we want to just dive right in, and we just kind of wanted to talk about the state of young men today. You know, so... You know, what, what do you see young men struggling with the most right now? Mm. Well, if you were going to ask me as a youth worker, what, what would be your biggest concern? I've been, I've been asked that a thousand times. The, the first answer is always, we're, we're not sure how to raise boys. And mm. it's, that's, that's a very simple kind of broad stroke. And, and the, the problem with this discussion can be that we will paint in like very, very broad strokes sometimes and almost talk in stereotypes when... when there's anecdotal evidence to the contrary and lots of things that we'll probably discuss. But in, in the broadest sense, our boys are struggling because they, they're not sure what, who they are, what their role is. They're not being raised well. They're not being guided, mentored, coached, parented well. And most of the parents who come to me saying, I'm struggling with, in our family, seven out of 10 of them are saying, we're not sure what to do with our son. Like we don't, we're just, we're at a loss. We and have things changed? Like are are boys just different now? Or and so it's it's complicated. But I think to me, that's every boy that I see that's struggling, like like really having serious issues, they're either fatherless or they've been abused, and so they've they've seen the savage part of male leadership, and it's tough to recover from. You know, when you aren't sure, when, when, I've heard this statement from many boys. If I'm not worthwhile to my father, or for him to stick around, or for him to provide, or for him to, you know, stay in my life, or for him to, uh, he's around my dinner table every night, but he doesn't ever seem to acknowledge me or, or emotionally make himself available. If I'm not worthwhile for that, am I worthwhile? Mm. And that's, I mean, as a, as a social worker and as a pastor, youth worker, we're talking like attachment, identity, the core of kind of who you are. And when you have to ask those questions, you're now on like a lifelong search for an answer to that question. And that can lead to a lot of dark places. Wow. Yeah. So I, I guess, you know, just to break it down into some different subsections because you know you're right it is it is a broad answer although an important answer you know 
the first thing we'll hear from a lot of parents is they'll, you know, it's the kind of the new sex, drugs, rock and roll is the, the TV and video games, you know, so have the, has the internet had an effect on men just because, you know, obviously if, if you've been for 30 years, you know, before the internet was kind of a thing and afterwards. So did you see an effect on men as the internet came on? Most definitely. The access to information can be life-giving and world-changing, but it can also be an literal open window to the world that if somebody's not standing guard, and that's where fathers and mothers and parents and teachers and pastors and coaches and mentors are the, the keepers when I, when I was a kid of those gates to say, you know what, that's, that's not appropriate for your age. And that's, that's not something you need to process right now. But throwing open our window and saying, everything in the world is now available to you. And you're seven, nine, 12, 14, 16. We are developmentally just not able to process all of that. And when we give, I mean, the first time I saw a seven-year-old with a smartphone was, you know, more than a decade ago, and their parents are sitting in my office saying, man, we just don't know where he's learning these things. And I'm like, you just gave him, you paid $500 and you're paying $100 a month for him to have access to, and to invite the world to have access to your son with no filters. And they, they paid for the access. You pay, you're paying for that. Well, Stretch, how do we stop it? He's like, he, he, you know, he's in love with these things. You turn it off. You, you take maybe, it away. You maybe take that and put it away and say, we may have made a mistake here. We, you may not be developmentally ready to be responsible with this, or this just may be overwhelming to you. And maybe it's time to just apologize and say, yeah, we blew that, but we're, we're going to make this right. But I literally, I can't even think right now of an anecdote where a parent heard that advice and went, that's what we're going to do then. So the parents are typically saying, well, all right, we'll just restrict it, but they're not turning it off. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and what filter, and you know, whether we're talking inappropriate stuff or just stuff that's just too heavy, too graphic, too much information, what filter can protect our kids? I, I, I've seen a million attempts at the apps and the, the ministries and the, and the different things, but in essence, once a kid gets access to that, he's already smarter than all the parents put together and more tech-savvy to, to work around almost any sort of. So, yeah, I mean, the actual, like, turn off your modem and your router and go to bed. Or, you know, or for this season <laughs> of your life, we're just, we're just not going to have you involved in that technology. Yeah, but all his friends have it, and then he always oh, just mad at us, and it's not really worth it. And yet the problem just continues to grow. It's tough. Because I feel like the old guy that sometimes is sitting there saying, it's not like back in my day, and you kids get off my lawn. But, it's, but there are some fundamental things that we humans are kind of wired for and things that we're not really equipped for. And, and one of them is at a too early age, having our innocence rushed and being a hurried child into an adult world that is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of times I feel like as humans, we're wired for a connection. And so in an attempt for that connection, 
we go to the internet, we pull up a phone, we go to a computer. You know, I grew up with DSL in the house. And it's one of those things where like, we're going to get into this, but I was 12 years old and 11 months old when I overheard somebody say, oh, this person is selling a you know subscription to that adult magazine, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what is that? And then I waited for a moment to go and Google it. You know, like kids, there's no barrier to that now. They're still searching for connection. Right. And it's an amazing thing how connected we are. Earlier this morning, I had a FaceTime conversation with a pastor friend of mine who is in Madagascar. And their day is already finished. And he was just, I had seen his sermon and just wanted to debrief with them and just say, man, you killed it. Way to bring the word. And that's amazing that I pulled out of my pocket the face and the audio of a good friend of mine in Africa. And we just chatted for five minutes about Sabbath and worship and preaching and, and then said, all right, we'll talk to you later. Like it was no big deal. I mean, that's so connected, so amazing to keep community like that. And yet, how, how many of us through social media have felt like this is pretend community, right? I mean, you can look at my Facebook page. I have 5,000 friends. Do I have 5,000 friends? In- no. No. <laughs> you have 5,000 acquaintances. I have 5,000 people who maybe we had a moment's interaction or is a friend of a friend of a friend who just said, most of the time I get friend requests now, I'm, I got to look them up. I don't know who this person is. But they call themselves now my friend. And I am calling them my friend. But we're not really wired for those types of friendships. I remember years ago, I read a book called The 150 Principle saying that human beings and our brain and our soul and our emotions can't actually process more than 150 relationships, period. Anything more than that is just, we're we're fooling ourselves. It's a little like some of the studies that have been looking into multitasking. And, And the truth is most of the studies say it's not a thing. If you are doing several things at the same time, you're doing none of them very well. Mm-hmm. But that sounds like my grandfather saying, hey, focus. You know, this is how we did it back in the old days. Turn off the music and focus on your task. <laughs> and, you know, but we live in a very different time now. So now I do want to equip people to live in today's world. But there are some basic principles that we're just sort of and, and, and almost stop signs that we're just blowing through saying, ah, it is what it is. What, what am I going to do? And you... You feel like you stand at the beach with a little Dixie cup and the tide's coming in, the waves, and you just keep trying to keep the water back from your kids. And we're losing that battle. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of research that I'm particularly interested in that um, was done by Jonathan Haidt just on, it came in the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. And he, ju- and he just did social experiments on basically young kids that kind of, because the internet really exploded into general access and portable phones right after the iPhone came out. So that they started seeing the impacts of that, you know, 20, 2011 to 2013. And one of the things they were pointing out, I mean, you know, we, we're talking about young men today, but they were talking about how it, in terms of just social media with Instagram, the ability to tell somebody like how liked you are mm-hmm. was now in front of your face. And so females are wired to have that affect them, when, you know, when they're feeling liked and appreciated. So not getting likes actually could stress their mental health and then they they were he was reporting something like a 70 percent increase in suicides i see it i see it all the time and i mean what would be the reason that that teens are you know sending inappropriate pictures of themselves to each other 
it's, you know, I want to keep up. I want to make sure I'm liked. I want you to love me. I want you to care about me. I want you to think that I'm pretty. And that goes both ways. Guys and girls are looking for those deep connections. And yet we're now able to do it in such surface, shallow or inappropriate ways that we're literally stunting our emotional health and growth. And we're not even noticing it until it's almost too late to like, now our brains are wired in a way where they can't think any different. They've never noticed anything different. We're, you're, you're part of that same generation. Do you remember when you got your first cell phone and when you got on the internet the first time? And I mean, it's oh, yeah. been most of your life, right? <laughs> well, I actually, my, my parents were smart enough to wait until I was 16. But mm. I'm, according to my screen time, it didn't help too much. But I think it's more the fact that I am able to sit down and focus on other things. I do have friends who it has affected them in weird ways. I actually know somebody who this is very funny. They don't want to talk to me, but they'll be very hurt if I defriend them. And actually, the like friends of theirs explain this to me. They go, "Yeah, they they notice things like getting defriended." I'm going, "They don't like me. <laughs> Why wouldn't they want to?" And they go, "Yeah, just don't defriend them. Then they'd right. be really mad." Right. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and that's, that's how weird. you're relating, right? Yeah. And, and so we put, bizarre. We put value on those things now. And and that is so bizarre. And it's it's literally like not how we're wired. We're wired for relationship, but not pretend or superficial or plastic or just entitle or name only type relationships. That keeps us emotionally and relationally at a very, very shallow level. I mean, and I know a ton of adults who were not raised in a very technologically savvy generation who have adopted those same principles and those same almost like social cues and status symbols, and they're the same way. And I'm like, you're 50. Why do you care that somebody blocked you or isn't talking to you on social or didn't like your, your picture of your hamburger? Like, why does that bother you? And they're like, I don't know, but it, it's just... It's I had to call them and see, like, what's, what's the matter? What's going on? And I'm like, things have changed, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the next thing is, you know, because usually when you're talking about that social and relational health, what most people would say, you know, I mean, I, I grew up homeschooled, but for most people, they'll, they'll merely say this, school is where kids learn to socialize. Right. Right. That's where they learn how to, that's where they make, you know, they have their first loves, their first, you know, hates, their, their friend groups, then they have to leave a friend group. It's, Sure. Where they do a lot of their first just in terms of relations. So one of the big questions that uh, I, I see people floating around is, is school the way it's currently set up, set up for young men to succeed in? Mm. Because uh, we actually just had, you know, you have more women get earning degrees than men, but you're starting to see women do well in school over men. So some people are saying, well, maybe school's not set up for men. So in your opinion, is is something in school set up in such a way that men aren't struggle with it or is it just maybe as you, maybe it's just the fatherlessness but is there something in the school that is set up in such a way that men don't succeed it's a fascinating thing and and it's and it's multi-layered and there's no easy answer society was so male dominated for for such a long time and, and and women were literally out loud taught to take a back seat they were taught to take home ec instead of quantum physics, mathematics. And there was this, you know, NASA hires their first woman like in my lifetime. That's crazy. But they were just like, well, girls, they're, they're just not wired for that. We found out that that was just misogynistic, chauvinistic, and, and really just pig-headed on, on us guys. 
And so opening the door is an amazing thing. Um, I'm, I'm a Wesleyan, and we're part of the Church of the Nazarene. We, we ordain women because John Wesley, every time was asked, who's your, who's your biggest spiritual influence? He was like, oh, Susanna, my mother, by far, by far. He was homeschooled, and she knows Scripture and the Holy Spirit better than anybody I've ever met. And so mm. he never even ever considered not using women in ministry. And just was like, if we weren't using someone like Susanna and her gifts, she's clearly called by God and gifted and trained and well-educated, well-read. She's the best I know of. Like, what a waste it would be for the kingdom. So I come at that perspective and just that's, that's been my you know, spiritual walk in life. Part of the problem is, is that many seminaries now have a majority of students who are women. Now, on its face, not a problem. But why is it that so many men then decided to take a step back? Why is it that, you know... We have a priest shortage in the Catholic Church. Yes. You know, we don't have enough priests coming in. I get it. And if we're not going to ordain women in that tradition, that's going to continue. <laughs> that's going to become an epidemic. Yeah. And what is it about... You know, so why why is MIT you know you know having more and more and more women come their way, and yet they're finding less quality men? Did one affect the other, and why couldn't we have? I, I know why we're humans. A pendulum swings one way, and we we decide let's swing it all the way back the other way, and we'll see if we can fix it. But what I love about Wesley is that his his favorite phrase was the via media that there is a middle road that. There must be a way. And in an issue like this, can't we raise up our women and give them equal access to all the best of education and everything without releasing our men from their responsibilities? And I, I, I don't see it happen a lot. It's just I, I see it in lots of different areas where somehow our boys get the message or at least are taking on the message, and it may be our own immaturity, it's just saying, oh, good. Well, if you've got this, then I don't need to uh, worry too much about this. Why do men leave their family? And in, 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 with a broad stroke, in, in society and kind of for the course of humankind, we don't have too many societies where women leave their kids or their families. No, it's not. not at all. It's just, is that just not in their DNA or do, are they just wired different? And why is it? That in every society that you can study in man-recorded history, men frequently feel like, hey, things aren't working out that well, or, you know what, I'm not getting my needs met, or I'm just, I'm ready to go. And there they can release themselves. What, what is that? Is it a societal thing? Is it a DNA thing? Is it just our broken nature? And is that one of the areas where, I mean, right from the garden, our curse was about work. And girls' curses were about birthing. And is, is that just that we are designed and wired differently? I, I don't know. But it, it's unbelievable that women have decided throughout the course of humankind, I have too much responsibility with my kids. I can't leave them for the most part. And guys often have felt like they've got options. Hmm. Yeah, and I know, you know, a direct feminist critique of that would definitely be that it's a societal expectation. You know, it'll be something like that. Sure. But, yeah, so. And I hear that. You know, the, the, the whole gender role conversation is fascinating to me because I say all the time for the past 26 years to my daughters, you get to do anything you want. We live in such a great society and we have had the best of educations. You literally have so many options. 
You literally can do anything you wish. And yet, and so I, I don't want them to be confined in a gender role. But I do know that some gender roles helped me understand some core questions about like, so what is a strong man? What, what, what does he look like? And what is he, how does he act? And what is his responsibilities? And, and, and yet, I, I don't want to be confined by that. I made a killer pot roast the other day. I mean, it, my wife mm -hmm. was like, I think you're going to cook all the time. I was like, well, that might have been a mistake then, because I don't <laughs> really want that. But honestly, I, 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 there's so many things in gender roles that I can see as being just manipulative or pejorative or just binding, an artificial boundary for no reason. And yet, if we're not understanding that we are kind of wired a little differently, what is that? Can't we find some middle road in there? I was babysitting a couple boys not too long ago, and they just wanted to run and wrestle and throw a ball. And somebody may say, well, they've just been conditioned that way. It, it, they were pretty young, and it seemed like it came to them very naturally. And raising two girls, I don't think I ever one time saw them tussle, wrestle, even really chase each other, if, unless I was doing it with them at the playground, and I would be the monster, and they'd have to run. And, but they, they just, it doesn't feel like we're in a middle place where we can say, you know, we, we are wired a little differently. Well, even just what you just said right there, there's a difference between a relationship between a father and his daughters and the way that a parent that's a man plays with their children versus the way a mother plays with their children. Because they've researched that endlessly where men are more likely to do unstructured play. And so that's where you say like you're chasing them and you're the monster. That's like you just coming up with something and going for it versus your wife would probably never do that. Right. She had an arts and craft ready and they were going to mm -hmm. make a pie together, you know, certain things. That Extremely they would just, structured. Yeah. Yeah. And there was details to it. And I was thinking, you know, she would say, OK, I'm, I'm leaving for the day. You got the girls. What's your plan? I'm about to make it right now when I make it up as we go. Let's talk about that. I don't know. What, what do you think? There will be a plan and I will figure it out after you leave. Bye. And some of that could be chalked up to irresponsibility, you know, uh. um, and, 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 you know, and maybe I, I, I wasn't taking the role that serious. I should have planned ahead some of those times. And I did find that the times I did plan ahead or learned from my wife, they, they were pretty great days and mm. they, they were kind of memorable. So there, there's, there's a yin and a yang. There's like a push and pull there. And then, but when I, I sometimes pull back from the gender role conversations or even stuff that comes out of my mouth. And I'm like, mm, I guess that's not really appropriate anymore. And I think a lot of, particularly guys, but I think a lot of humans right now are unclear. Are there rules or social rules or norms or, or even like manners, etiquette type things? And, and, and who sets that? And what's necessary? And what was actually really manipulative and abusive and, and just silly. Girls wearing pink and boys being blue and, you know, all those things. But I, I don't know. I, you could say I was culturally conditioned, but I was never drawn to the color pink. It didn't do a thing for me. Yeah, no, it, it is funny how you just, you know, there is differences and variations within something, but it is funny how you have like a general direction between the genders. You have, you know, women tend to do certain things and men tend to do another I think one of the most fascinating stats I heard from Peterson was that women tend to have IQ that clumps right around the average, but men tend to be either really high or really low, which is why men 
can have like they're all they're all in prison, and then also why they are all the greatest chess players. You know, it was it was an interesting just way of realizing that there are these little subtle differences that can make huge differences at the extremes. But I do think I want to dive a little bit more into you know how you were talking about you know you were learning with your you know from your wife and exchanging things because I think how men and women interact, especially over the last years, you've had the Times Up movement. I was actually just reading there's been an update on the USA Gymnastics story. The former head coach just killed himself. Just had to, just committed suicide. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he over being brought in for 24 charges. Actually, the my sister actually knew the girl who was the daughter of the team doctor who's been convicted for 175 years. Oh, and she, uh, remember that that girl had a rough, <laughs> rough last year in college, you know? So when we're talking about stuff like that, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that's been going around for a while is it came out of the Brookings institution and they said that to escape poverty, you, you, there's three things you need to do. You need to hold down a steady job, graduate high school and not have a child out of wedlock. Right. And, you know, I, I, there's some, some stats that I was finding in, you know, girls born in fatherless homes have four more are, are four times more likely to have a child before they reach the age of 20. More likely to have self-esteem issues, mental health issues, four times more likely to be obese and eating disorders. I mean, the list is endless. And you, you can't always just draw a straight line that one minus those factors will always equal these things. But the trends are alarming. And I've certainly, just in my own experience, with my own eyes, watched... The girls that I've seen struggle the most in the top 10 struggles that adolescents can work through almost unanimously either had a very poor relationship with their dad or no relationship with a father. And the list just goes on and on and on where they end up in mental health facilities, rehabs, juvenile hall, courts, maternity wards. And again, this conversation could just divulge into stats and, and, and people dismissing it and saying, well, that, that's not everybody, and there's, that's true. But in 30 years, there were clear trends. And I've been actually really taken aback by not, not the ministers and the Christian psychologists who are studying this, because we always come at it through a certain lens and, and certainly a biblical framework. But it's when secular, a-spiritual people are being able to connect some of these dots and say, there has to be some links here. And the truth is, most of the kids I know who were in severe poverty had at least two of those three factors happening, and many of them had all three that weren't working in their life. And right. it was kind of a no-brainer that, of course, they're struggling. Well, uh, you know, what, what I have here on some, some statistics on just that, I mean, from, from NPR, 57% of the fatherless homes in the United States involved African-Americans. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's crippling to an entire community if yeah. you're talking. I think it's about 50 in the, in the African-American community. It's about 30% in the Hispanic community. And it's about, I, I probably, it's probably around 20, 20, about 20% in the Caucasian. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is where it was in the African community in the 50s and 60s, which is, right. you know, so there's been a huge jump there for some reason. And people have been trying to figure that out. Well, they've been also saying that if something affects the African-American community, then the Caucasian community is usually 20 to 30 years out or something like that, a couple of decades from having the exact same statistics. Yeah, and often that, that, that goes from, from geographic locations too. Often metro-like city centers are, are very minority-heavy, 
And that's where trends and kind of social behavior kind of emerges from, is usually from our metro and city right. places, and then it trickles out, so we're usually a decade or two behind. It's the convenience of white flight, isn't it, that we have decided, <laughs> let's get out into the open air, and maybe, maybe these social ills won't affect us as much. Eventually, it always comes back to our broken nature. And as men, are we actually going to do what Scripture says? Because often... Some of my Christian friends who love to quote some of Paul's instructions to, to who, who we are as men in relationship to women and that women are supposed to be submissive and men are the head of the household, what they forget is that Paul actually wrote out that as the head, you are the one who is instructed to lay down your life for sacrifice. your wife and your family. I'm reading at my wedding, actually. And exactly. I remember it. And I was bawling because I know it's true. And I was praying for you because I know it's hard. And we're literally the ones who are supposed to be the most selfless in our nuclear family, which means we don't leave and we don't demand our rights and we don't need to be the boss and we don't have to have the final say all the time. And we figure out how teamwork is supposed to work and we figure out how to raise functional kids in the boundary of holiness. And, and that means that we may not be getting a lot of our own needs met and we take it with a smile and say, that's what I signed up for. I'm laying down my life for my wife and my children because they're worth it. I mean, so I guess the next question is, you know, I, I remember listening to an old Dave Chappelle sketch. And the, the way the joke went was that uh, chivalry is dead. Mm. And women killed it. But I think <laughs> the, you know, the way that we want to kind of ask it in still kind of a cliche way is, you know, is chivalry dead? Is that idea of being the most selfless dead have we maybe added too much individualism or maybe we've just kind of forgotten what stewardship sounds like or you know maybe everything's supposed to be equal we always we both give 100 percent, and if somebody doesn't then it's not you know is chivalry dead the reason that my father and grandfather always stopped me at a door and said look around look behind you and look ahead of you if there is a woman coming through or needing to get through that door open the door and step aside let her go first when you're walking down the street you walk on the side of the sidewalk that's closest to the road. Yep. So if a car comes by and wants to, is there the puddle and it splashes, or if there's some danger there, it's you're there because you're the one who's supposed to be laying down your life and put the uh, prop the others up first. And there is something about like historically that putting women and children in the lifeboat first and preserving their lives and saying no, 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 I'm, if. You're more important right now, and I really want to fulfill that role. But somehow it got convoluted, almost perverted into there are days that I'll hold the door for a, a, a lady and she'll be somewhat offended and say, hey, I can open a door. And I'll say, ma'am, I know that you can. And old habits die hard. And I, I just want to let you know I respect you. And... Usually, that, that at least comes back with a, well, well thank you. I, I guess I can appreciate that. But it can get contentious. And honestly, we guys, we, we bear a lot of the blame for that. We did it to ourselves. We took some of that chivalry and we turned it into manipulation and we turned it into demeaning and almost dehumanizing and trying to keep somebody in their place. And... It's an easy thing to do. I mean, historically, there were how many civilizations wouldn't they refuse to teach their women how to read. Well, I can, I can keep you in a very clear social niche if I'm smarter than you at all times. And I also am now needed at all times. Well, chivalry was never meant to 
be just more than good manners and, and a sign of respect. It was never meant to say, I want to make sure I control the power and I have all the control in this situation because you're too weak or uneducated or unable to care for yourself. And we, we have an awful, I mean, a atrocious in every continent, in every society, we have a bad history of seeing something like chivalry as power and control. And that always perverts. Our broken nature and our enemy has a field day when we start talking power or control. And relationships, particularly family relationships, were never meant to be talked about in those ways. You can see the difference in just, I think, post-industrial versus we still have one or two societies that are practically pre-industrial in just nature, where, you know, when you have the old agrarian societies because of how much work needed to be done, you had a very clear delineation where women had to stay home because somebody had to work the fields. And so you used the more physically capable men because it's backbreaking work. And so women stayed home. But then you had the Industrial Revolution. And now all of a sudden, you know, labor-saving devices just exploded. Just in terms of the amount of time you needed, just the amount of time you need to, I, I have a Roomba upstairs. I don't even have to leave my couch to vacuum my floor. <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean? I oh, yeah, no, I mean, just the difference that a washing machine makes. Yeah, right. You know, it's fascinating because there have been some studies done on this. And the truth is that we were learning in youth ministry almost 30 years ago that we've expanded on now to be very true is that our kids, both male and female, used to be necessary. They were important. In fact, many were born out of necessity, and which isn't all that great. Like, hey, why were you born? Well, my dad needed more farmhands, and <laughs> my mom needed mm -hmm. help with all the children. But in essence, what the studies show is that they didn't struggle near as much with worth, self-worth, self-esteem, purpose in life. They knew what their purpose was. Now, some they were of the needed, problems, and they, they were felt needed. responsible. They were necessary. Now, the truth is, any North American teenager right now, male or female, if asked the question, what drastic, dire, vital thing would go wrong in your family if you didn't do your chores this week? The nothing. answer is always nothing. Right. And since we're usually working so hard and so busy now and so you know, entertainment driven, how many people would notice? When would they notice that you're not doing, you're fulfilling your purpose? And so when you're not needed, you start to look for purpose. And there have been some, some physiological and, and DNA studies, and then also societal-driven gender role stuff. Boys function better when they're industrious, when they have a project and they have the right tools and they can produce. The hunting, the gathering, you know, the, those right. types of things, they're, they're, they're built in us. When you take away any purpose, I'm not producing anything, and no. Uh, nothing would go wrong. A hundred years ago, if I didn't milk the cows at five in the morning, the cows got sick, the cows then died, we didn't get any money, and the family starves. And I'm eight. Right. I'm a vital, <laughs> I'm, I'm an important, you know, you better uh, get out of bed. link in There's this no chain. In. That's correct. <laughs> because our lives literally depend on you. And you're very young, but you are as important as your father and your mother and, and the doctor and the pastor down the road, like your role is needed and necessary. I, I didn't have a necessary role. I was born in 1970. I can't remember when I've ever had a necessary role until after college, really. Nothing would have changed if I didn't take out the trash or, 
I got scolded, I didn't get my dollar allowance or whatever it was, but nobody died, nobody got sick, nobody was really affected. My mom just got bothered. And so that's a very key change. And I'm not sure how, to, how do we fix that, but I do think parents, if they're aware of that, can parent differently, knowing mm -hmm. that their kids want, we're actually designed and wired to be necessary. I imagine this plays very interestingly with the suicide rate of children and teenagers because of what you just said. If they have, if they're not needed, and they're looking at an option of like, if I were to die today, would anyone miss me? Well, I guess not because I'm not vital. You are exactly right, and the numbers bear that out. Young person suicide is a fairly recent thing in the past, let's say, fifty years. You know, whatever. But as we've grown less necessary, and we've kind of created ways to get our work done for us, that number continues to go up. It's crazy that that happens in a lot of areas. We are finding that our kids are declaring that they are perpetually bored in life more than ever. And everybody's looking at them going, how? You have access to every TV show that's ever been produced ever. You have access to every movie that has ever, you have access to every song that has ever been recorded. You can find a way to get that, mostly for free. And you're not entertained? You, you, you're just, the more options we seem to have, the more time we spend in trying to make our life exciting and fun and entertaining, the more bored we are. I, I've read some amazing studies, both Christian and non, that just say, it is crazy, and talk about a lie from the enemy that just says, you know, if only you had more information, more technology, more games, more, you wouldn't be so bored, and the opposite turns out to be sociologically true. And then, why do you think substance abuse is so prevalent? We're bored out of our minds, and so we might as well get numb. Who wants to remember this boring day? Everyone is overstimulated. We are all overstimulated, and now I'm either so anxious about that or I'm so desensitized to everything that I'm bored to tears. And mm -hmm. what do you need? Well, I need something to change or alter my mind, either to forget or to excite. And that's a recipe for disaster, particularly with children but also particularly with boys. A bored boy never seems to come up with positive solutions for that. <laughs> Idle time and a bored male, and I don't mean this just as a child, I'm talking like I'm working with 60 year old men who are like, dude, I'm just bored and nothing good's coming from that, nothing's functional. I never thought that I'd be dabbling in this, this, or this, but I just got too much time on my hands, man. I mean, we, we actually, we spoke with two teachers last week and one of the things that the teachers were actually saying is they said that these kids actually need to work more. Mm -hmm. You're saying that they need to actually go outside and, and, and actually do something. He goes, they're just kind of like here. Well, we've all seen, we've <laughs> all seen students, particularly male students who are so bright, they're so smart that they're bored to tears in school because they, they get it. The teacher opens their mouth, they read the first chapter and they're like, yeah, I got that. I understand that. So they're sitting back and they're getting into trouble and they're bored or they're failing and they're like, what is, this kid's got an IQ off the charts. But yeah, he's bored. Like, it, it, there's no challenge here. Retired males, they don't report life satisfaction and, and, and happiness. It's off the charts how much they all report. Wow. I was looking forward, I saved my whole, I told everybody, oh, I can't wait till I retire, I can't wait till I retire. I'd go back in a heartbeat. Can't even name 
a retired male that I've spoken to as a pastor that is consistently like, this is great. I am living the dream. I am golfing every day and I'm out on my boat. <laughs> there are windows of that. But on the long haul, I'm bored. Yeah, my, my dad... He's within like a year or two or three of retirement. And he was just seeing the writing of the wall where he's like, if I retire, I can't have nothing to do. I need to have more than just my guitar and the occasional worship team thing that I'm doing. Either I need to be very invested in this men's ministry or I need to find another ministry to be heavily involved in because I can't just wake up lazily in the morning, make breakfast, be lazy until lunch, make dinner, and then repeat it every single day until I find one of my children is available to spend time with me. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And that is repeated millions of times every day in the retired households where they thought it was going to be like perpetual vacation. Turns out we're wired as men not to go on vacation for years at a time. That's why we take a week or maybe two. And then half the men I talk to, they're like, I'm glad to get back to work. I'm looking yep. forward to it. Let's get back there. And I'm like, you don't even like your job that much. <laughs> I thought vacation was amazing. I saw you on Facebook. It was great. And they're like, it was great. I don't know. Stretch oddly, I, it felt good to get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're wired. Because it feels good to be way. industrious. We are wired this way, and it's just and maybe a path forward for for people who are listening can can just start to look into that in your own personal life. Are there gears that you just maybe need to shift into? I love what you said about, okay, so if I'm going to retire, what I don't have is my nine to five purpose. I got to now go be an intentional seeker of other purposes. Maybe now's the time I dive into ministry or I dive into a hobby or, you know, something where uh, a community service somewhere or because I, I got to have a purpose and a mission. Mm-hmm. And I, I think most boys don't know it, but they're wired that way. And just teaming up with your Call of Duty partner because you've got responsibilities on that team is, is not actually fulfilling that need. It's not satisfying. Yeah. As much fun as my uh, League of Legends Clash team is, right. it's not going to be it's crazy a, fun. a lifelong thing. It's crazy yeah. fun, but if that's but your purpose, so exactly. yeah. that's going to that's never satisfy for the long haul. It's not sustainable. Yeah, so silver level League of Legends is not a, not an awful thing. <laughs> wow, when knows, I grow yeah. up, I aspire. Just need to level up. That's all I need to do yeah. today. <laughs> And I really want gold someday, but I, I want to bring this particular question up because, you know, we've had the Time's Up movement, we've had the Me, Me Too movement, and we've seen dramatic shifts in just male and female relationships in terms of in the workplace, how they ask out women. I've spoken to, you know, women that are around my age, and a lot of them, the way that they view guys coming up to talk to them is it's very, it can seem kind of like, it's not decipherable for the guy, mm. but the guy's terrified. So a lot of times I'll hear women say things like, hey, I, I, I want the guy to be assertive. But the guy's like, last time I heard about an assertive guy, it was in the paper and he was going he got for arrested. 30 years. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, you're hearing about that. You know, I mean, one of the one of the articles that I was reading was the big Aziz and Sorry story. That ignited a firestorm because the female was accusing him of harassment. And, you know, there was a good number of people who were like, well, why didn't you just leave his apartment? You know, and so you, you, there was, there's this huge argument over what do men and women do? So, you know, just, I guess real quick, cause you know, I, I kind of want to talk about how you've been touching on the role models, but very quickly, what do you think the long-term effects of Me Too are probably going to be um, in society? Well, I think there's some positive ones. Some of the long-term effects has been really empowering to some women who have been cowering in the corner, just saying, I'm, 
I'm broken and damaged, and I don't think anybody understands. And to find out that so many other women, that there is a place for that, there's always some positive things that can come from that. It's a little like when a male says, I, I want to get out of this porn addiction. The best remedy for that, that all professionals seem to agree on, particularly Christian ones, is then come out of the closet with it. Talk about it. Well, I'm too mm -hmm. embarrassed. I'm too embarrassed. Yeah. Well, that's where the enemy's going to keep you. It's why you're trapped. It's why you're chained to it. But the moment you speak it and you hear other guys go, me too. Oh, yes, I'm there. And you really start praying and you find other life patterns. I've talked to a billion guys who have been freed from that. And almost unanimously, it was when they decided to talk about it. And so there's some real positives, I think. The stats bear out, at least in my experience, in any given youth group that I was running, one out of every four girls had been sexually abused or harassed mm. or mistreated, and many times by an adult, and almost always by a male. And so there is some credence to the fact that, man, if a girl just goes to the grave with secrets like that, there's damage and baggage that she's been carrying for a very long time. So I, I see that, but I also see that if we swing the pendulum too far, our guys almost always end up shrinking back when they're not sure what the rules are and yeah. what, what is appropriate or, you know, how do I hire and fire along gender roles? We see it racially, culturally. There's confusion. and We don't know what to do. And again, let's be clear. We guys did this to ourselves. We created, no, no girl was walking around saying, man, I hope I get messed with as a kid and I hope I get harassed and I hope, you know, as I'm walking by a construction site, all those guys are gonna be catcalling, whistling and telling mm -hmm. me about my body parts. We did this, so we created this. So I can't stand too far in the camp of, well, now the girls are just gonna screw it all up for us because <laughs> that's not the situation. But I do know that ambiguity with males never ends very well. We're better with clearer rules and roles. What's appropriate, what's not appropriate. We'll, we'll pass on better instruction to our children if we can get some clarity on some of these things. And some of it is just, I mean, my, my dad like laid out different things. He's like, okay, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna take this girl out, you're gonna open the door for her, you're gonna treat her with, you're gonna go shake it the father's hand, you're gonna go introduce yourself to him and look him in the eye. And I'm sitting out in the car watching. If you don't do it right, we're going to circle back around. These are the rules. This is how you're going to treat a woman. And I'm going to be there, and I'm going to watch it a couple times and see that you're doing it right. When the check comes, you're going to pick that up. This is a date, and you've asked her out, and you are paying for this. So, yes, break open your piggy bank, and you are going to be paying for this. And back in the day, there was no discussion about that. It was just sort of assumed. It's, it's funny you would say that, actually, because I remember that when I was in college, this actually was a huge argument because there's a group of us, we were kind of joking how, you know, uh, you know, if we ever found like a guy, you know, if we ever found a guy with our daughter, you know, we would do like this to him. And actually, we got a lot of pushback from females and one or two guys who said, actually, no, this is incredibly insulting, demeaning and disgusting. Sure. But they said the idea of a protective father is right. over. Right. right. And that's that was a conservative Christian college that I went to. It's a, it, but it's a very different shift and I didn't feel like being raised in that culture with those rules of how a gentleman is to act, I don't think it pushed me in, into a direction of always condescending and feeling like, well, of course I have to get this door and of course I have to be the one to pay and of course I have to be the provider for the family because you're not capable of doing it. 
But, and I can see where it can be pushed in that direction, where on the receiving end, a, a woman might, might view it that way. And I want to I wanna figure that out. And I want to be sensitive to that. But what is the conversations that we have? And what are the roles? It's easier for some of my Christian friends who are from a fairly fundamental background, which means when you read scripture, it means what it says. So you just, you, you do it exactly the way it's said with not needing kind of the cultural history or understanding of literature, just the word said it, so you do it. So if male's the head of the household, then I'm the head of the household. I have the decision-making power, so the buck stops with me. If I screw it up, it's on me. And I know some families who are fairly happy in that situation where the wife <laughs> is like, I love it, and he's doing great with that, and I have my role, and he's got his role, and we're doing it. But I... I know Jill and I, my wife and I, were not just squarely there because we didn't read scripture to mean that there was this sort of end-all, be-all, almost authoritarian role that the male would play. And so for the most part, we're a team. As we parent, as we have at times earned money together or one or the other. Absolutely. And we made a decision that somebody was staying home with the children. We just saw enough sociological and almost spiritual evidence that, mm-hmm. man, if we're going to have kids, mm-hmm. somebody's got to raise them. And I don't want to work all this time, give all my money to a daycare that somebody else can raise them. Right, let's yeah. do it. That was the same perception that my wife and I had as well. Because why would I pay so much money for somebody else to raise our children in a way that we might not agree with? Even financially, when you do the math. That, that as well. One of our full paychecks was just about going to exclusively pay for somebody. And I'm like... And then you have to ask that question, is it, do you want to work so much that you're willing to literally exchange your children and that time for you working that same amount of time? Right. And some would say that that's a very conservative uh, way, way to look, uh, maybe old fashioned. We just found that we were both on the same page with that. And to me, that's, that's, always, that's always gold when a husband and wife are in the same place. Right. And, so, and she was always like, I don't like babysitting. I never worked at like little kids camps and stuff. And I was like, I did that my whole life. I love kids, so Aww. I'll be happy to stay home. And so that was our plan when we were engaged. And, and then when we got married and the first time we looked at a positive pregnancy test, the first words my wife looked at me, she goes, oh my gosh, we're pregnant. She looked up and she, <laughs> and she, and she goes, okay, I'm staying home. And I was like, wait, I thought we had a plan. What? We had a whole plan here. We- <laughs> We literally wrote it out. We have a strategy here. What? Now who doesn't have the plan, right? It, I'm telling really you, man, it, it changed in a heartbeat. And then she was like, we're too young. I wasn't quite ready. I wanted to work a couple more years. I'm like, you can. It'll be great. She goes, no, no, no. I'm staying home. And she was the greatest stay-at-home mom I've ever seen in my life. And I could not be happier with the results. I would advocate for that, whether it's dad or mom, whether you have sons or daughters, keep a biological caring Christian parent in the house as much as you Mm. possibly can. And if it's not financially possible, could you make some lifestyle decisions that you could make it financially possible? I didn't own own a house for the first 15 years of our marriage because we weren't going to be able to swing that with one income, especially Mm. not on the youth pastor's salary. But we decided it doesn't matter. Then the priority for these 18 years is giving our full attention as parents. And somebody has to do that. So anyway, that, that to me, what was huge, I think it's a part of what is causing some confusion for some of our boys is that they're not having a all the time presence of either mom or dad. If dad's not there, then mom has to work. 
And it's, it's an impossible situation. I, I think one of the worst lots in life is having to be the single mom who now mm -hmm. has to be everything. And for the most part, most of them that I know did not sign up for that. They yeah. were not interested in jumping in and saying, oh, oh, great, I'll be dad, mom, provider, chauffeur, taxi driver, coach, mentor, maid, house clean, I I'll do it all. It's, it's an impossible mm -hmm. job. You are left with being able to do some of those things poorly to okay. Exactly. You will definitely be master of nothing, and you might be jack of all trades, but almost everything will be fairly mediocre, and you'll know it. And that's the same if it's a single dad or a single mom trying mm -hmm. to raise a house full of kids. We're that's not, disheartening knowing you gave your best. Absolutely. So you're always frustrated because you're literally digging in. And again, we established, it's not like we have many societies where women just throw up their hands and say, ah, somebody else have to raise these kids, I can't do it. So they're in, they're all the way in mm -hmm. and they're laying down their life for it and everything's mediocre and you're frustrated at every turn. And our boys are struggling because they're looking at mom going, how do I be a man? And she's going, I don't really know. I am not one. And we would have produced very different, not nearly as quality daughters if I had been raising them myself. In some situations, what are you going to do? If my wife had passed away or whatever, then we're going to figure it out. But Well, strangely, that's different. If a parent passes away, the child is able to look at that person as like more of a hero, something to aspire to, as opposed to a parent who goes to prison and it goes very differently how they view that person emotionally. And they don't have to ask the worthwhile questions. They don't have to say like, why wasn't I worthwhile for you to stick around? Why wasn't mm -hmm. I important enough? Because... You know, a, a natural death like that is just out of everyone's control. And so you're right. There's a different level of understanding there and a different level of respect. So, so I guess that would just lead to the question right off the bat. You know, do men need heroes? Mm. Do men not have them? Mm. What do you guys think? You're, you're younger than I, so you, you, could, you could probably jump back to your childhood maybe even quicker than I can recall. Did you have heroes? And, and who were they? And did they help or harm you? I needed men that were worthy of respect. Uh. And my father managed, you know, he wasn't perfect, but he managed to be worthy of that respect. Mm. And I think that's so much of what was missing in our world now is having that male figure that is worthy of that respect. And if it's not your biological father, then it needs to be some other man that steps in to take over that role for them as if they were there. Yep. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And I build on that in terms of, for me, I grew up, with a classical education. So I grew up reading about men who had done great things. They had inspired their whole life to doing something. You, know, you would read what Socrates went through. You would read about how Plato fought. You know, you'd read about these, you know, William Wilberforce, the, mm. these, the guys who spent their whole life accomplishing monumental things. And they were suffering. They were, you know, society was outcast. They, but they had a goal in mind and they had the character to go through it. And they were, they were never perfect, you know, when you read about them, but yeah. you know, so even, so when you had your dad there and you know, you were just like, well, he's not perfect, but he's my dad. You know, somebody would say something like, you know, you're doing this and this doesn't seem right. And you'd go, well, you know what? I understand that, but I think it's right. I've put thought into this. And, and there was a backing to that. And I actually found that when I met other men, a lot of them didn't have any role model. What they had was they had stars. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they had celebrities. Their, yeah, they had celebrities, or you know, it would be like a TV kind of thing. You know, maybe it'd be like a character. It was never real. It was just like a character, 
And that always was unattainable for them. So they just were like, well, as long as I'm kind of like this guy. And then I actually have recently found that a lot of men have started to have feminine role models. They're using female role models as guides for how they should act. And that I, I've noticed that that's starting to, in a lot of them, it's producing a weird sort of self-confusion oh. where they no longer are capable of being leaders because they're attempting to understand something that they're not innately used to. It's a different way of thinking, which goes back to what you were saying about men and women just kind of naturally want to do different things. But I do have a couple friends and they've switched to, you know, I follow feminine values, which is a little odd, but I, I would say for me that those heroes that, that I had growing up in, in, in just in books that were real men, that, that was helpful. And I guess the, another thing is, what characteristics do you believe men should aspire to? Yeah, the, I remember when I was a kid, the first two female heroes, I, I, I had a bunch of heroes. I met everything from like comic book heroes to sports heroes to mm. just dudes that was like, I want to be like, you know, and just either thought they were great or that they were great leaders or great. I mean, the first time I ever heard, it, this, is a, this is an awful example. I was raised in Philadelphia and Philadelphia's favorite son in 1970 through 1990 was a Bill Cosby. And Oof. the first time I heard Bill Cosby's album that my parents had, we would sit on a Saturday night, put it on the record player, and just listen to him tell stories. And I laughed till I cried. And I remember thinking and saying out loud, if I could ever tell a story that engaging, that my life would be made. I want to do it like that. And now I can't tell anybody that Bill Cosby was one of my role models. <laughs> and again, it goes back yeah. to we self-sabotage all the time, we men. We, have, we can be gifted and talented, and then we can turn it all into power and control and mess it all up. I remember the first two female heroes that I had. I heard Margaret Thatcher give one of her speeches, and it was the first time a political speech meant a thing to me, and I was pretty young. And she was articulate and brilliant and strong and yet sensitive. And everything she was saying, I just nodded along with like, yes, I agree. That would fix the problem. Yes, I'm on board. How do I vote for you? Can you just be like world leader? Because yes, <laughs> I'm in. And then I heard Golda Meir from, from Israel speak. And she had such a different way of going about it than Margaret. She was gentle and filled with peace and kind. She was sort of the Mother Teresa of world leaders. And yet, she was brilliant. And I was like, I want to do it like that. And if I could be, if Margaret Thatcher and Golda Meir could have a baby, I'd want to be their son. That would be great. That would be. <laughs> so I, want the, I want both those, those uh, you know. And so I, I remember that. But they, for the most part, my heroes were, were male figures. A while back, my, I got my father into reading, maybe 15 years ago. He just never read that much. We go to the beach, I'm reading my book, and he's like, eh, it doesn't do much for me. So I decided I'm going to get him into reading. So I started getting biographies of people that I knew he would talk about or kind of that were heroes of his, sports figures, world leaders, things like that. And he got into it. And then I saw that it was like almost a negative thing because he had almost idolize some of these people. Mm. And now the, the memoirs and the biographies are kind of showing you behind the curtain. And the Wizard of Oz now is just sometimes a, a small little man with a microphone 
trying to be bigger than he is or the warts or the, you know, we find out about Bill Cosby and his lifestyle and all those things and you go, oh, and you're so disillusioned then that if you only had celebrity or superstar type, type heroes, my dad used to think, I mean, he signed up for Vietnam because the, the president said it, it would be a good idea and we need you. And he never called my dad. He just said that in a speech. And my dad was like, yes, then I'm going to go do my duty. I mean, he, mm. he respected world leaders. And the more he found out about how they actually, how flawed they were, the less he was interested. In, and you could see like a cynicism almost kind of grow in him where before he was like the most optimistic. He couldn't wait to vote. And if, if he was going to do jury duty, he was going to be the first one there and happy to do his civic duty. And and it's funny that without heroes, do we change? I mean, you guys, you, you've only been raised in a pretty cynical generation where you pretty much know everyone's flaws at all times. And within 24 hours, you're getting an update about them. Doesn't it just, I mean, it's got to affect you in a way where you just can't trust anybody. We don't trust our politicians. We all kind of hear them and we shake our heads and we're like, yeah, right. You don't mean it. You're probably not living that way. That's not your values because we've just grown to that place. We have too much access. We know too much about people. How could I put anybody on a pedestal now? Right. You can't because if you put them on the pedestal, people will say things like, I mean, they actually, they've been taking down the Abraham Lincoln statues because he, he, he didn't uh, strive hard enough for the slaves. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, come on. I mean, it, <laughs> what, do, what do we do? If, if Lincoln, if, if we can't keep him in the memorial, who? Then let's, then let's, we're a statueless society. Okay, we're just going to have to make that decision then. Right. But yeah, there's no, you know, I there's know. no way. Yeah. And so to your question, role models and heroes, are they important? It's hard to know because I think we've always had them and, and we still crave them. The problem is, is that now they don't exist anymore because everybody has seen behind everybody's curtain and we're unimpressed and we don't trust. And without trust... Obviously for females, but certainly for males, like it's like a carpet's been pulled out of your legs and you can't find your footing anymore. Like what's worthwhile? What's worth giving my life for? What's worth putting my effort into? And is that mm. maybe some of the malaise that our boys are feeling like, all right, well, if, if all the girls are going to work at NASA and my mom's going to do the hard work or my dad didn't stick around and hey, I guess I can just play video games and be a slacker and smoke weed and watch porn and coast. I'll just yeah. coast. And instead of like a slacker generation, maybe that's the better term. Like, have we turned our guys into coasters instead of industrious workers, strivers, the ones who had ambition and, and vision and dreams. And I, and I don't want that to be a male thing. I want all our girls to have ambition and, and drive and dreams too. But I think a lot of our girls are finding that empowerment and a lot of our boys are feeling disillusioned and Maybe with, with lack of role model or lack of heroes, if we don't trust anything, we go, is it really worth it? When am I going to need this? Okay, I'm not going to put any energy into this. Well, they just had that news break about, you know, they had the whole Ravi Zacharias Ugh. scandal that broke. You know what I mean? I, I, that, that has sent people over the edge. Oh, it's such just, a kick in the gut. I mean, uh, yeah, you can't you know. read one word that he has written as, as a Bible-believing Christian and not think, Wow, a lot of prayer, a lot of thought, a lot of education has gone into this. This man is brilliant. And to know that now we've seen behind the curtain and it's just, what did you feel? I mean, don't you just put it in the category of, 
Of course, just one more failed, flawed leader that I used to think right. had a lot of respect for, and now not so much. Oh yeah, so you have that, and so you know we could probably sit here and go for five, six, seven hours. We could be here next week just going <laughs> over, you know, the ills of society and the failures of everything. So I think is anybody still thing- listening to this podcast? I know, have we exactly. already <laughs> drone on and on. If you are, yeah. a gold star for you. Wow, yeah. <laughs> way to hang in there. Right. So you know, I, I think just our ending thing here. We just want to know kind of the way forward. So in terms of. So we're, we've listened to this podcast. We've all agreed there's something wrong with men. You know, there's there's something wrong. What is it? There's, there's something rotten in Denmark. Mm. And we want to go, what should we do mm. tomorrow, this next week, you know, this year? What can we do this year to start changing where the trajectory is or where these trends are, or where these problems are? What would you say your top Three things are. Uh, first, go to the library. There is a ton of material out there. Not all of it quality, but there's a lot out there. You can do some research and find some resources to get yourself educated. Parents, I mean, before you even decide to get pregnant, go to your library. Start becoming a student of these issues. If you're going to raise a girl, how are you going to do that the very best way you possibly can? How are you? What, what can we be learning? How has technology in our de- in our modern times, how has it transformed our lives and things? Most of what we've been talking about, the three of us, we're not smart enough to have come up on our own. Most of this we've, we've, we've learned and studied and researched. I know both of you are, are, are well-educated and have, have put in the hard work. So that, that, to me, is one of those areas that a lot of parents, when they hear that, they go, huh, I hadn't really... I mean, we got pregnant, so I got the book, like, what to expect when you're pregnant, and then I stopped reading for the next 10 or 15 years. Don't. Dig in and start to find out, like, what is the effect of some of these issues, and what can we do? Every family's going to have to navigate their own path, but we're living in a society now that doesn't want to give you too many roadmaps, and a wandering child, male or female, but particularly a wandering male who's being asked to figure it out on his own, is gonna struggle. And so figure that out. Second, pray, pray and fast. These issues are way too big for one person to fix or one couple to fix or one one adult male child to say, yeah, I, I was kind of wrecked. I'm pretty damaged by all this stuff. I'm gonna fix this. We're broken. And some of our brokenness is highlighted over this last hour. You've seen it. And this is not just quick, easy fixing. We're gonna need the actual master designer who designed us certain ways to give access. We're going to have to give him access and start living obedient, searching his word, where he actually gave us some instructions to figure this out. If we're broken, what would be better than going to the person who made the creation to say, how about you start to be the potter and I start to be the clay? Where do we need to remold some things? And that only happens on your knees. And when you, when you fast, you, you, you give up some of your own comforts and you, you, dive, you use that time or that money to really dig into becoming better educated and, and less stubborn. I mean, sometimes we'll just dig in our heels and go, well, this is how it worked in, in my family. I don't, I, or I've always done it this way. What else can I do? Or the parent who, when given some suggestions about maybe what to do with some of the technology in their kids' lives, just dismiss it and go, ah, I, I, it's too late now. They're already hooked and their friends all make fun of them. I, I can't change that. Don't believe it. Uh, we, we can make changes in this. And our kids, we owe them that. And then, particularly to the single mom, be encouraged. 
You're not alone. You don't have to be alone. Our God has made a way for you to not have to be alone. He can guide you. Scripture calls him a friend that can stick closer than any brother, any, any husband, any family member. And he is interested in leading and guiding you, will give you wisdom and discernment beyond what you could have even imagined. If you keep your mind stayed on him, be encouraged. There are many, many boys who have been raised by a single mom who are functional and in love with the Lord and have learned how to love their wives and their kids too. And so don't give up. But be intentional. Look around. Go to your local church. Find some quality men. None of them are perfect. We're all pretty flawed. But quality men are the ones who are saying to the Lord, you can rearrange my priorities. I need you to forgive my sin, and I want to repent, which means I'm not going to keep going back to my sin. And for guys that are doing that, encourage them to be role models. Encourage your churches to get serious about men's ministry. And not just men's ministry, but intergenerational men's ministry. Stop taking worker witness trips with just adults or teens. Make sure that every missions trip you take, you got boys working with men and that they get to laugh, pray, work, sweat, cry together, minister together, be selfless together, and, and, and form those types of bonds. Our church is actually well-suited to address some of these social ills. And if our local churches can get serious about that, I mean, the, the big brother concept can work. I've seen it work many, many times. To put quality men around our boys is infinitely necessary and can have eternal consequences. Those are just, just at the beginning of the conversation, some, some, some ways forward. I'd like to hear your thoughts. As you, as you think about this, and you know, we've been stewing in this, you know, preparing, thinking about this conversation and what's been running around in your head. What worked for you that, that you think moving forward, we can make sure we continue? Yeah, I think it's just so important that, you know, you were bringing up those relationships between boys and men and having those. You know, I obviously had a lot of that from my father, but I also got a lot of that from other men who were able to fulfill that role through the church. And I think a lot of times we've taken a step back from recognizing that it's something that we can actually have a change in a child's life to be able to interact with them. And sometimes, like you said, parents might think that, they, that they've already screwed up and it's over. And the reality is you can still fix it. There's a way to encourage children to move in a different direction, yeah, it's going to be hard, but nobody said parenting was going to be easy. And that becomes a generational shift as like you were talking about all the way at the beginning, how, you know, you have this child and they're seven years old and they're staring at their phone and the adults are wondering, what can we do? And sometimes I think parents forget they're in charge. You're in charge of your children. And you need to maintain that you are in charge because your child knows that they're in charge. And if you ask them, hey, like, oh, you did this bad thing, what would you like your consequence to be? They're going to tell you something that they don't care about. You have to recognize that you need to look through and see what do they value and decide that that's the thing you need to take away for them to care. Because children need to be motivated and you can motivate your young boys by giving them something else to do and taking away the things that would cause them to go in a downward spiral. 
And I just think it's just, it's crazy to me. It's just how many times you have parents that don't think about that they're the ones, they're the ones who get to make the better choices. And I think that as parents, we need to be there for other parents. Like as you were saying, like people who struggle with pornography, they need to learn to be vulnerable about the problems in their lives with other people so that they can learn that they're not alone. And I think that's the same case with the parents today is they need to be in other groups with parents. Like, you know, I have a you know, three month old who passed away recently, but my wife, she's been involved with the MOPS group since even before she had our firstborn. And that MOPS group was just so important for her to hear there are other women who are struggling with the same issues that she has. And even being involved in that MOPS, that MOPS group after my daughter passed away. And it's just like there for healing. You know, there's there's people who have dealt with having a child pass away and they're there for their, they're there for her. And the difference is eventually like we're going to have more children. We're going to have teenagers. We're going to hang in a different place where we need to parent our children well. And we're going to need other people our age dealing with teenagers to figure out the best way to parent them and be encouraging to the other parents who are there dealing with children of those ages. Because I think with the internet today and people, you separate away from those people. You just don't prioritize it. You go to work, you come home, you make dinner, you repeat, and you stop having these relationships. So we've now come to a point where husbands say that their best friend is their wife, but the wife says that her best friend is like her girlfriend. So you have the situation for men don't have best friends who are men who can encourage them as well. And so our fathers aren't having strong friendships with other men, then why do we expect those fathers to be able to help nurture their children when they aren't able to have strong relationships with men of their own age? And so it's just one of those, it's an intergenerational issue and it's a male issue as well. And it's not something that single family or single parent households or a mother can just replace. They can't just give to a child or for their son or their daughter what a father is able to give. And a lot of those statistics that we said at the very beginning, you know, even just having a father who comes in at the end of the day and says hello to his children and provides money or food, puts it on the table and doesn't abuse his children, most of those statistics go very, very low just because they were there. And so like even just starting at having men feel responsible for the people that they bring into the world and to help them is so crazy important to encouraging children to know that they are also important. I'm here. You know, and then and then just building off of that foundation of actually reaching out to your children. Because I, I really believe that you know, where we talk about these teenagers and they're having suicidal thoughts, what is going to keep them on this earth? Relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with their father, their mother, their siblings, and their friends. And I think that's where, if they have relationships that matter, it really doesn't matter if they have a phone and access to social media, if they have relationships that matter. When you're deciding whether to kill yourself or to be alive for another hour, it's the relationships that encourage you to say, I'm not going to do this. They will miss me because they love me and I love them. And I think that's where we have a critical separation is that we're looking for interaction connection in all the wrong places. We're looking at it from a screen. That's what pornography comes from. That's where bad relationships come from. That's where boys going to school, not being academic because they think it's cool. That doesn't foster connections. It just fosters self-hatred. 
And so if we were to reach through that and try to create more authentic relationships between intergenerational, between men of same ages, different ages, I think we'd find that the rift between boys themselves, girls themselves, teenagers, parents, children, that would just start to heal over time as opposed to continue to fool apart in the fabric of society. Yeah, I I think I want to follow that up with, you know, a little bit of a political concept and it's called policy drift. Policy drift is when, you'll see it happen in the United States, is when someone who's at the top or somebody who's doing well has nothing to continue to strive for, but they know they have to do something. So they just sort of wander around doing random things. They, you know, so you'll see politicians, they just, they just propose bills all the time. Right. Why? Because, well, you got to propose a bill, you're, you do you're here, yep. Right. But, you know, you know, America's number one and all that. So you can't, you can't say, hey, let's keep going or anything like that. So it was very popular to happen in the 90s. And the reason that I bring this up, I think this often happens with just young men in general where parents and the young man themselves, they're often told that as long as you just are okay, you'll be fine. So when we give somebody that instruction and they're just, hey, just be okay. And as you know, as you guys were bringing up, the parents just kind of, they, well, you know what? As long as he just goes to school, you know, just get C's or better, you know, come out when you're 18, go to school, get a degree, just get a job. And then, you know, just, just find a girl, love the girl, and then you can retire with your boat and then we're done, right? You know, you're going to be fine. Just, just do that. You start to get a policy drift from men because there is, they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do, right? They've, they've reached, I'm in school, I'm doing fine, I'm doing, but there's nothing to be pushed for. There's no, you know, they, they're not sure, you know, what, men are not sure how to approach women because they've just been told as long as, you know, as long as you're not doing this, you're fine with women. As long as you're not doing, if you, you know, hey, just, you know, you, you'll, I, I see people say this all the time. You know, they say, don't rape. That's what we should be telling people. I'm saying, we shouldn't be telling people don't rape. We should be telling people do love. Yes. Not, not, not don't that. Talk what about what should they be doing? Talk about lowering the bar. Wait, wait, that's it? If I yeah. don't rape, I'm a good man? All right. I can right. do that. I guess I've arrived. I, I've, <laughs> I've seen, I've met people who they say, well, I didn't rape anybody right. as their defense for why they treated women that horribly. And it's like, okay, yes, but you still harassed her. You, you did no love. <laughs> And you did not put her needs in front of yours, right? Right. And so you, you see that you in school, you know, are you an A student? Yeah. Good. We don't, we don't need to do anything else with you now. I guess we've arrived. Yep. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Why not, you know, challenge like I, Boston Public Schools this week just took away advanced placements because they, they were, mm-hmm. they, they didn't have the right races in it. Mm. And the, my question is not, well, why not keep the program and get the other races in there? <laughs> Why are we lowering the bar for everyone then? Right. The the biggest thing, when George Bush said this, I mean, for, you know, the guy with the Texan accent, so people tend to just kind of laugh at him. When he said the soft bigotry of low expectations, Mm. that's what's happening to young men. They're just being told the don'ts list. And then as long as they're off that list, they're on the nice list and they're succeeding. And the problem is, is that removes any sort of drive. All the, you know, I was talking earlier about great men. What great men had in common is they strove for a higher purpose. 
They all failed, as we we discussed with <laughs> Rabbi Zacharias, as we talked about Bill. You know, you're talking about you know Bill Cosby. All these people failed, but they attained that level before they fell. Talk about Tiger Woods, right? Mm. That guy when he was golfing, and then all of a sudden he had the Swedish models. He had lost his wife, and the guy couldn't golf. His back. He just had another car accident. Yep. I mean. Look at how much better of a person he was when he came back and he strove to be back in golf. He said, my, my goal is to get back on top. When he right. won the Masters you know, two years ago, after, after all that mess, you could tell like he had made a decision. I'm raising the bar here, and I'm not going to settle for like, wow, I've, I've, already, I've got enough trophies, and maybe my career is over. And you're right. Aspiration. And listeners, if, if you're hearing this, don't be afraid to put expectations on your men and on your yeah. boys because we'll rise most of the time. I'll rise to the level that you've set the expectation at. And so when a coach pushed me, I was such a better athlete. When a coach said, hey, you're doing pretty good, just run the offense, I actually regressed. I always did because somehow I thought I had arrived. Mm. There's something there. It's real wisdom, man. You guys are... Thanks for this. Thanks for having these important conversations. I'm, I'm so impressed. And if, if men of faith all over North America were diving in uh, to this conversation, I, we could see a change. We really could. I, I count it an honor and a privilege to, to even be a small part of this conversation. Yep. And we just wanted to thank you for coming on today. I think, you know, this is definitely going to be our longest episode today. <laughs> but it, it was an important one. And it was something that I think uh, the time that was spent is helpful for those who want to listen. So once again, thank you very much. And we really encourage every listener here, find a young man and challenge that guy. Challenge him to become a man. Challenge him to be, turn from a boy into a man. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you have a comment, question, or rant, we'd love to hear it. Email us at bluestateconversations at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find our articles on Medium. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. No matter what state you're in, blue, red, or purple, there is always room at the table to discuss your views in a way that lets us all grow. 